Hello and welcome to the first episode of the European Football Show, part of the World Football Index podcast series. Um, my name is Alan Feely and I'm a freelance journalist based in Seville in the south of Spain. Uh, with me today is Killian Shields, an Irish journalist for Catalan News and a football freelancer based in Barcelona in Catalonia. And also John O'Sullivan, a freelance football journalist or sports writer. Um, from Galway in the west of Ireland. Uh, so for today's episode we're going to be talking about Gini Wijnaldum's uh, proposed transfer to Barcelona and Thiago Alcantara's proposed transfer to Liverpool and how the two are interlinked and the connections between the two of them basically. Uh, so to start off we're going to talk about Gini Wijnaldum. So we're going to open up to both Killian and John here. The first question will be for Killian. What do Barcelona need that Wijnaldum has? And what does the midfield look like with him in it? We know Ronald Koeman is the new Barcelona manager and we know the club's in turmoil. And there's a Dutch connection there, obviously. But for you, what will Wijnaldum bring to Barcelona that they don't have already? Well, I think Barcelona's midfield lacked so much last year. Um, for once, it was, it was very static midfield. It lacked a lot of dynamism and movement. Uh, Wijnaldum could bring a lot of this energy to the midfield, I mean, he's a great box-to-box midfielder that can help out at both ends of the pitch, like to a very high level of quality. And Barcelona are still at a point where their seasons are defined by what they do in Europe. And that 8-2 thrashing at the hands of Bayern Munich, which is going to haunt them for the foreseeable future, for definite, uh, that exposed, among other things, the massive gaps that were so easy to exploit in Barcelona's midfield uh, that left their defence very, very vulnerable and uh, no, I think anybody who watches Liverpool over the last couple of years certainly will notice that their fullbacks are arguably the best fullbacks in the world, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson on the other side. And uh, a lot of Liverpool fans that I know certainly attribute their success to the amount of covering that Wijnaldum and Jordan Henderson can provide them in the midfield, allowing them to maraud forward and get as many assists as they do. Uh, Barcelona could certainly do with that coverage. They certainly could have done with it against Bayern, uh, not only to help their fullbacks, Semedo and Alba, should they be the starters next season, but also to allow Messi the freedom that he needs to perform at his best. As we know, Messi's 33 years old at this stage, and I don't think it's a secret that he doesn't do very much work off the ball. So a player like Wijnaldum, and as disciplined a player that he is in his position, uh, and he puts in so much effort for his teammates, I think he can really help get the best out of Messi. Um, as well as that, he's got such brilliant level of close control. He understands space very well. Uh, he's great at both short passing and long passing. Uh, these are traits that will suit a Barcelona midfield very, very well. Um, what could it mean for Barcelona's midfield next season? I mean, what could it look like? I mean, the last couple of years under different managers, we've had, uh, we're very used to seeing a 4-3-3 formation in Barcelona, but Ronald Koeman could be about to change that. In the first couple of preseason games, he's played a 4-2-3-1 formation, uh, like he has with the Netherlands as well in the last couple of years. So there's questions there still about what role Wijnaldum could fit in here. Could he be one of the two pivot players, uh, probably alongside Frankie de Jong? Uh, that would give him a much more defensive role in the team. Uh, but for the Netherlands, he's been deployed like further up the pitch a lot more. And he's been getting, I think in the last year he scored... I think about nine or 10 goals for the, the national team under Ronald Koeman, of course. So Koeman knows how to get the best out of him in an attacking sense. 
And Barcelona are already very stacked in the forward line. So he's a very uh, versatile player. So he could be used in uh, certainly in a lot of different roles. Yeah, and do you think that Frankie de Jong obviously struggled um, last season to kind of balance playing time with uh, Sergio Busquets and also Ivan Rakitic and Arturo Vidal? We know that Vidal is going to Inter Milan and Rakitic has already gone to Sevilla. And Busquets is going to be playing a role next season, but it's probably to a lesser degree than what he has played so far. Maybe similar to when Rakitic replaced um, Xavi Hernandez quite kind of tastefully back in 2015. Um, but how do you think, how, what's your personal opinion on how he will fit into that midfield? If you would say now, would you, do you think that he'll take prominence responsibility away from uh, Frankie De Jong, or do you think he'd be deployed in a more attacking position, kind of with De Jong sitting and then will allow them kind of providing the legs and energy to break forward from midfield? Yeah, I think it could be similar to what you just described there, uh, with De Jong sitting as the the more deeper of the midfielders on the pitch, and when Aldum providing the, that energy, that box to box, that ability to get all over the pitch. I mean, Ronald Coleman has spoken in interviews numerous times over the last year or so. Uh, and he's spoken about Frankie de Jong's best position on the pitch, which he, which the player did not get to play in very often last season. Uh, de Jong as well has said uh, on a couple of occasions that he prefers to be the deepest of the midfielders, so in the role that Sergio Busquets has been playing over the last decade or so. And what he likes to do is bring the ball up up the pitch himself, um, getting close to teammates, playing uh, short passes, and Wijnaldum could certainly complement that very, very well. Uh, Wijnaldum's short passing is fantastic. The link-up play that he's shown with uh, Mohamed Salah, Firmino and Mane over the last couple of years has been well, it's been exceptional, as we've all seen the, the points halls that Liverpool have managed and the trophies that they've won. Um, so I certainly think he's, he's an exceptionally talented player. And one that's very, very underrated. Uh, Wijnaldum, this is I'm talking about at this stage. Uh, certainly underrated because he's not the player that gets all the accolades in that Liverpool team that's been so successful. But he's like very low-key excellent, just providing a lot for the forward line and a lot of coverage in defence. So there's certainly a lot that he can provide. And that versatility at any level of football can be very, very useful for any team. Yeah, definitely. I remember Frankie de Jong playing for Ajax and the Champions League run they had two seasons ago, and he was literally almost like a third centre-back at times, bringing the ball out from so deep. And obviously, it's very, very difficult in any Barcelona team, but especially a failing Barcelona team, to assume any kind of responsibility when Messi is still there. So I think it's, I don't think that Frankie de Jong will be able to um, fulfil his potential as a footballer until he's given more responsibility. And maybe with Wijnaldum in there in the midfield, It'll be more spread evenly, perhaps, and Messi can be more in the final third, much like Ronaldo was towards the end of his career, um, as he is now. Um, and the midfield will maybe do more of the hard running, perhaps. Uh, but who knows? Um, but for you, John, you've obviously watched Gini Wijnaldum uh, very carefully for the last four seasons. Uh, what are your, what's your opinion of him as a player? Uh, and what's your personal opinion? Do you think he'll stay at Liverpool or will he go to Barcelona? So my opinion of him as a player is that he is massively underrated and it, amongst a lot of Liverpool fans even which is very strange because we've been watching him regularly since the summer of 2016 I think there's a lot of clamour online for Liverpool to sign Thiago and that's understandable but you know you can be respectful of Thiago but also respectful of Wijnaldum you don't have to contrast them 
He uh, He's probably one of the most tactically intelligent players I've ever seen. And that's a very Dutch trait, of course. Um, he can play as a number 10. He can play in a double pivot. He can play as number six. He's even played in the back three for Liverpool. He's played at left back for Liverpool. Um, a lot of the Barcelona fans will remember that he played false nine at the Camp Nou in the Champions League semi-finals. So I think that's really indicative of the trust that Klopp has in him and in his tactical comprehension. So I think he's a player that uh, if he were to go to Barcelona, he could make an instant impact given that he knows Koeman so well and just given that the qualities that he could bring, not least how, how intelligent he is, you can talk about his physical attributes and his technical attributes, but I think his standout quality is how spatially aware he is and how he's able to comprehend any amount of tactical um, instructions. And whether I think he will go, the wind seems to be kind of blowing towards him staying right now. Even a week ago, it looked very likely that he may leave, given that he's going into the last year of his contract and the club would hope to recoup some money by selling him. They don't want another scenario where, like when Emre Chan walked to Juventus on a free transfer. So it looks as if they may be open to a sale, but now it seems to be like he could stay. But we all know how the footballing world is. All it takes is for one event to completely throw the cat among the pigeons and make you look like a fool in retrospect. So it's it's hard to see whether he'll stay or he'll go at this stage. I'd certainly be an advocate of him staying, but if he were to go, Barcelona would be getting a superb player. Yeah, most definitely. Um, should he stay, he may have a new midfield partner because Liverpool have been heavily linked all summer with Thiago Alcantara. Um, also 5'9", he's also 29, uh, but he comes from a kind of different background. Uh, he was born in the north of Italy um, to Brazilian parents. His father, Mazinho, was a 1994 World Cup winner and his mother, Valeria, was a volleyball player. Uh, his brother, also coincidentally, is Rafinha, who plays for Brazil and uh, currently at Barcelona, but he's rumoured to be leaving in this transfer window. Uh, his development as a youth was slightly more international than Genie. Uh, he began his career with Flamengo before spending time with Eureka and Kelme in Spain when his father was playing there, before returning to Rio de Janeiro to play for Flamengo again, and then returning back to Spain to play for Barcelona. He played for the B team first before making his debut in 2009, Coincidentally, at the same time that Guardiola came into power and built that great Barcelona team. Um, but he left Barcelona in 2013, joined Pep at Bayern. The reason he left Barcelona was because the club didn't honour a contract, a clause in his contract regarding minutes. He didn't play a certain amount of minutes, so Bayern could sign up for a cut price fee. At the time, Barcelona were trying to tastefully transition Iniesta, Xavi and Busquets out of the team, especially Xavi. I'm bringing in new blood. Uh, so instead, he went to Bayern Munich. Uh, since then, he's done 39 caps for Spain. He's spoken in the past of his Brazilian heritage being very important to him and very influential for him. But while his body and his soul feels Brazilian, he personally feels Spanish. Uh, on the pitch, he's a phenomenal footballer. Genuinely, I believe him to be one of the best computers in the world. Uh, statistically, when it comes to winning the ball, making interceptions, playing passes into the final third, completing passes, completing dribbles, both in volume and percentage, he rates in the top 10%. He's a phenomenal footballer. Um, with that in mind, it's quite a frightening thought to see him going to Liverpool and joining a team that was all-conquering last season. So for you, uh, John, first of all, what's your opinion on Thiago? What do you think that he would bring to Liverpool what the Liverpool need that he would bring. 
So first of all, I'm a massive fan of his. I remember a lot of the hype when he first came through at Barcelona and he's more than justified it. Um, in each of his last eight seasons, he's won a league title. So he's won the title in his last season at Barcelona and he's won the title every single year at Bayern Munich. So that's just kind of a little indication into what a quality player he is if he's staying in these squads for that long. Um, what I think he'd bring to Liverpool is that kind of ability between the lines, the real desire to have the ball all of the time. I think really when you look at mid- Liverpool's midfielders' profiles, that Naby Keita, who's had real issues staying fit, is the only player who has a similar kind of uh, attributes and traits to that. So I think that he would bring an ability to shift the centre of creative gravity away from Liverpool's fullbacks because Killian mentioned earlier how brilliant they were. They nearly had 50 Premier League assists between them in the last two seasons. But lately we've been seeing a kind of a template of how to stop them from teams. It's usually sitting in a deep block 4-4-2. Carlo Ancelotti has done it at both Everton and Napoli. Diego Simeone has done it at Atletico Madrid where they play in a deep block 4-4-2 and the fullbacks get double marked and then that throws down the gauntlet to Liverpool's uh, central players to ask them to be able to create and more often than not they can't really come up with the goods in that regard so if you were to be able to sign Thiago he would come in and he would just give that Liverpool the option to play between the lines more often uh, I looked up some statistics before coming on and he received the ball successfully 96% of the time in the Bundesliga so here's a player that can play in the half turn play on his play on his tippy toes so to say and uh, when he gets the ball then he's penetrative with it he uh, wouldn't be the guy who's going to get you a load of assists but he's going to be the player who gives the ball to the person to make the assists so I think in that regard it could be an evolution of Liverpool's game and over the last couple of years the style has changed it's not so much heavy metal football it's more patient and it's more probing and I think that's partly to do with Pepin Linders the assistant manager who's Dutch his influence on the team and I would describe Thiago as a very Dutch player. So if he were to come in, that would just be another step in the evolution of Liverpool. Mm. Yeah, because he came through Barcelona and he was obviously very hyped and uh, he performed very well in his early career. Um, But then when he went to Bayern Munich, his first two seasons there were kind of hampered by injury. And it was really until Carlo Ancelotti came into the club and changed his position uh, that he actually flourished. He became more of a number 10, playing closer to the goal, closer to the final third. And he was able to utilise both his dribbling and his forward passing because he's very skilled in both both areas. So he's already proven himself to be very, very adaptable in terms of how he can adapt his game and change his game. And at 29, you'll have to change your game anyway um, as you approach the later years of your career. Uh, but for you, Killian, what's your opinion on Thiago uh, and what do you think he can bring to the Premier League? You know Barcelona very well. You know La Masaya very well. Uh, is he a typical La Masaya player? Do you see the Catalan influence, the Dutch influence on him as a footballer? Or do you think he's retained some of the Brazilian qualities as well? I think he expertly blends all of those things of what you've just said. I mean, uh, I don't think it's a controversial opinion to say that he's an absolutely marvellous footballer, isn't he? Uh, like the close control that he has, the range of passing that he can provide. Uh, in some ways, there are some similarities with Wijnaldum in that sense. But I think I think he's thought of occasionally, um, especially in some quarters from England in the much more uh, rougher league of the Premier League. Uh, although the German Bundesliga is quite physical as well, but he might perhaps be thought of as a bit lightweight, a bit of a flair player. Um, but Thiago's 
defensive qualities I think are also underrated I mean he's certainly not thought of as a player he's not a tackler he's not thought of as a necessarily as a ball winner but he's a player who can provide coverage he's he's very positionally intelligent he probably gets that from his Lamazia upbringing his understanding of space in that regard both off the ball as well as on the ball uh, is, is is at an exceptionally high level I think he can absolutely provide a lot in the Premier League if he were to end up at Liverpool but it would be a case of where he would fit into this Liverpool team I mean who would he replace in that Liverpool midfield? Um, I mean, if Wijnaldum goes, that's the answer. Uh, but it, could he play alongside him? Certainly, as John mentioned, if uh, if if opposition teams play a four four two to suffocate those marauding fullbacks, well, then yes, the, those central players would become more important. And then it could perhaps be a bit of a gamble to just play one more strictly defensive player in that middle area of the pitch if they were to play Wijnaldum and Thiago alongside each other. Certainly the range of passing and the, both of their abilities to move the ball between the lines could certainly help break teams down. Um, yeah, I've got very little doubt that he's a player of such a high quality that he could succeed in any league. I mean, he showed us not enough, in my opinion, in La Liga. He wasn't given enough of a chance, I think. I'm no Barcelona fan, but I certainly would have liked to have seen him stay in order to uh, progressed that Lamazia tradition once Javi and, and Iniesta were coming to the end of their careers. Uh, but as, as, as you mentioned before, um, his contract clauses weren't honoured and he wasn't given what he was told that he was going to be given. So he had every right to move ahead with his career and the success that he's found in Bayern Munich, you can, um, like that's nothing to be scoffed at, certainly. But yeah, I think he'd be a fantastic player for whatever team he ends up at next season. Yeah, I was actually struck by the Bayern and Barca saga in, in kind of two bookends, you could say. Because at the beginning of his career, to leave uh, Barcelona at such a young age and to try his luck in the new league and the alien culture was quite a bold move. And, you know, he, he was the flagship of the Guardiola project that Guardiola told the Bayern board that I want Thiago and nobody else. He's the player I want. He's the man who's going to help me influence this Bavarian team with my identity, the Catalan kind of identity. And you would have liked to think that that would have told the then Barcelona board something about this player's quality and perhaps they could have done with keeping him. Exactly. Well, I think Thiago is actually also, for me, he's almost a metaphor for our kind of a flagship for the Barcelona board's um, ineptitude in many ways is being reaped at the moment, you know, because here is a homegrown player who wasn't dealt with correctly. The transition plan was botched. And I thought that it was a case of the chickens coming home to roost when Bayern beat them 8-2 in the Champions League mini tournament. Certainly. Because I, he, he ran that demolition, you know, and, I, and I, I felt that the way he played with such kind of, you know, the trademark Thiago no-look pass I really thought that he delighted in tearing apart Barcelona. Like that might be a bit subjective, but that was my uh, my view of it. You know, yeah, I can I can certainly see that, and I think you're very right in the sense that it could be a metaphor for Barcelona's demise in recent years. Um, like I mean, once he was sold from Barcelona, the then president was bragging with the local press to say that they made I think it was 13 million uh, from a substitute, and just that level of short sightedness. And not being able to see the age difference between him and the other players who are already in the team and the future prospect that this wonderful player was inevitably going to grow into becoming. Um, like, yeah, I mean, hindsight is 20, uh, 
yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. That's the phrase I was looking for. Uh, it's easy to see now what a great gifted player he is and what a job that he could have done in this Barcelona midfield. But I can't help but think like Pep Guardiola, a figure who is so close to Barcelona, so emblematic with this club, for him to be the man singling out this youngster in the Barcelona team, saying, I want him in Germany. I mean, I can't help but think that that could have given a bit of a pause for the then Barcelona board who sold him. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, and, and and for you, John, how do you feel tactically should Wijnaldum stay, as now looks quite likely? How will they exist in the same midfield? And could it be the key that will elevate Liverpool this season, will give them a fresh injection of blood and can help them maintain their title charge? It's interesting because Liverpool's orthodox formation for the last three seasons has been a 4-3-3. But uh, this preseason, they've kind of toyed with variations of the box midfield. So the 4-2-2-2, as it's also known. And they've also at times played a 4-2-3-1. So within either of those two shapes, or indeed a 4-3-3, um, I think Wijnaldum and Thiago could easily dovetail together. Um, you could have a scenario where they're playing a double pivot. I would trust both their, you know, their spatial awareness and their tactical discipline to do that. You could have an instance where Thiago plays as a six in the 4-3-3. I trust him to do that. Or Wijnaldum. And then you'd have the other one play as the eight. Or you could have another instance where they play a 4-2-3-1 and one of them would play as a number 10 and one of them would play as the eight. Or even in the box midfield that I mentioned this, uh, it's a formation that Raf Hasenhutl has used very successfully at Southampton. I could easily envision Genie Wijnaldum playing tucked in off the left-hand side on that. So there is real scope for them to play together, just owing to their versatility and their tactical intelligence. I mean, if you look at it, Wijnaldum has all the athletic all the athletic tools you would need, and he also has the mind for it, and then likewise Thiago. So I, I wouldn't envision any problems with them at all playing together. And I think another thing worth noting is how concertina this season is going to be. It started a month later than it usually would, owing to pandemic, of course. But it's going to end more or less the same time and then go into uh, the European Championships all going well. So there's a lot of games to be played and it's going to be it's going to be very intense, particularly for Liverpool as a fan. I hope they do progress in the European Cup. So, you know, to have a player Thiago's quality kind of might mitigate a lack of time on the training ground. It mightn't be, you know, fully acclimated right from the word go, but you can more or less just throw him in and trust him because he's such a good player and everyone else is going to be in the same boat, whereas it, their schedules are going to be jam-packed. So I think that also makes sense. I mean, a lot of people would say a 29-year-old with a history of injuries is kind of the antithesis of a Liverpool signing in recent times. But, you know, these are the strangest of all times. And if there's an opportunity to acquire a world-class midfielder who wants to play for you for what we're led to believe is about 30 million euros, then you have to do it. Yeah, I think, I think it's a no-brainer. I think that Thiago is a player who will walk into any midfield in world football and immediately improve it, genuinely. And I think also, if last weekend's Premier League fixtures have shown us anything, it's that the trope that it's very difficult to adapt to the Premier League doesn't really apply to a lot of world-class players because, you know, Alan, Decore, and of course, James Rodriguez walked into an Everton team that was barely functioning last season and immediately improved it. I don't know if you saw the game against Spurs, but the, Allen was ferocious in the midfield. He was barking orders, leading by example. Decore was box-to-box, you know, with an incredible engine, you know, uh, aggressively winning the ball high up the pitch and pressing forward. And 
James was coming in off the right side playing beautiful uh, cross field balls to Richardson and to Calvert Lewin. It, it was phenomenal to see. So I think that it shows that you know the, class players, truly class players, can adapt very very quickly. And I believe that Thiago is one of those players. Absolutely, I think sometimes the Premier League likes to make itself out to be a little bit unique, whereas. You know, sure, there's a lot of good teams, a lot of money, but I mean, it's it's the same sport at the end of the day. It mightn't quite be as intense or as special or as different to other leagues than some people would like to would like to say. And it's funny you mentioned you lived in Sevilla. I think sometimes we kind of overestimate familiarity in football because that's a club who is regularly changing mass amounts of their squad summer by summer, and they're still more or less very consistent in terms of what they can do in the Europa and in, in the league. So. Sometimes I think we can overcomplicate things where it's as simple as get a good player and get good results. Yeah, I think that momentum is really one of the most important things in sport. Um, and one club that doesn't have momentum is Barcelona. So, Killian, what's your opinion on Barcelona? How do you think they can go into this new season? How can they challenge Real Madrid? How can they keep Atletico and Sevilla at bay? The $64 million question, isn't it? Um, I mean, at this point in time, Ronald Koeman, uh, he's only had two preseason games against lower league opposition. Uh, he seems to be changing the formation as well. He seems to favor a 4-2-3-1. Uh, but I wouldn't doubt that, depending on the opposition, that could change as well. Overall, what state are Barcelona in at the moment? Well, they're in an absolute crisis like that's no secret to anybody in the world but are Barcelona capable of coming out of crisis and performing well and winning the league title yes absolutely let's not forget when Ernesto Valverde came in a couple of years ago Gerard Piquet said to the press after the Super Cup loss to Real Madrid Real Madrid hammered them in the two games to kick off the domestic season that year he said for the first time in his career he felt inferior to Madrid what happened that season well Barcelona won the league undefeated they nearly went the whole league campaign undefeated but for a bizarre 5-4 loss to Levante after they already had the title wrapped up Um, so they're very capable of coming out of these situations and having success domestically at least whether they can replicate that success on the continental stage I think they still have a long way to go in terms of refreshing their squad. Uh, Like I touched on it earlier on when speaking about the traits that Wijnaldum, for example, could bring to the Barcelona midfield. When coming up against the best clubs in the world, like that Bayern Munich game showed it all too horrifically from Barcelona's point of view. The gaps that they can leave in between their midfield and defence. Like, the best teams can easily exploit that. Can they get away with that in the league where they can dominate the ball and they can bully other teams? Yes, absolutely. But once it comes to the European stage, I think they still have a long way to go. Mm, Yeah, yeah. I think, like, last season, obviously, it didn't end um, very well for Barcelona. Once Kike Setien came into the club in January, things kind of went downhill. They were top of the table and they blew their lead to Real Madrid, who aren't a vintage Real Madrid either. You know, they're kind of, they're the best team in Spain, but they're not what they were, if that makes sense. Absolutely agree, yeah. Even, you know, having said, to the, having attested to the strength of Atletico and Sevilla, they were still something like, I think it was 10 or 15 points behind uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, come the end of last season. 
Um, Sevilla have really strengthened the summer. They've lost Ever Benega to Saudi Arabia, who was an important performer for them towards the second half of the season, especially. And also Sergio Regulon. I think he's going to Spurs, it seems, today. They have brought in um, and Marco, Marcos uh, Acuna from uh, Sporting Lisbon as a left-back and even Rakitic from Barcelona, which are both good investments, it seems, initially at least. But they haven't really improved the squad. I think the, the main thing is a, a striker. Atletico were in a season of transition last season, as Simeone said it himself. So they will be stronger this year, I think. But will they be strong enough to really kind of, you know, overhaul the, the big two once again? I'm not sure. This is a very new look team uh, for Atletico, new look team for Simeone. Um, so I, I think that even though it's very fashionable to, you know, have these doomsday prophecies for Barcelona at the moment, I still think they've been the top two coming into the season. I think... A lot of it depends on what happens in the next couple of weeks. I mean, the transfer window is only uh, closing in early October. So that leaves a lot of time for deals to get done. And f- we can evaluate squads at the moment. But really, by the time the season is fully up and running, I would, uh, I'm not sure I'd expect, but I think there's a very good chance that these squads could look different and the picture could look different for them. Uh, to me, I like the look of Atletico Madrid a lot. I think. Obviously, they had a bit of a stagnant year last year, uh, but I think they improved as things went on. And I think they they looked a very serious team after the lockdown, after the coronavirus break. Um, like they very quickly got their house in order and shot up the table and secured that qualification for Champions League that before the break didn't look anything like a guarantee. Um, so I think as well, the per se, discovery of Marcos Llorente, who is nominally a defensive midfielder, but he was deployed much higher up the pitch against Liverpool in that Champions League clash uh, to great effect. Like He scored those two wondrous goals in Anfield that sent those athletic fans in raptures. And Diego Simeone has been very intrigued at the prospect of playing him, Marcos Llorente, a player with a great engine, a player that can do a lot of running, a lot of pressing from the very front line, much higher up the pitch, just behind that forward line. Uh, So he will have a full season in this new position for him. He's essentially a new player that they have in that nearly attack line. But I think what hinges most on whether or not Atletico Madrid can have success this year is whether they can get a striker that they can really, really trust. I mean, Diego Costa hasn't looked like the Diego Costa that won Atletico Madrid the title all those years ago in a good few years now already. Uh, His return of goals and assists has been quite poor for some time now, even though he is a bit of, he is a useful player, but for a team hoping for the title, you need more from your striker. As well, Alvaro Marata, I like him a lot. He's got a lot of good traits, but can he really be trusted when you absolutely need to win the big games in order to clinch the titles? I think he's shown on occasion that he can falter in that regard. So I think they're missing just that one last piece, that one striker that they can trust. I've read that they've been linked with um, Lacazette of Arsenal, who, if they get him, I think he could be very successful in this Atleti team going forward. Um, I also completely agree with everything that you said about Real Madrid. I don't think that they're a fantastic team at the moment. They're probably one of the worst title winners that we've seen over the last decade. Um, And they haven't really upgraded at all, really, in terms of new personnel coming in this summer. They've brought Martin Odegaard back from his loan spell at Real Sociedad. Um, I would love to see him get some playing time at the Bernabeu. 
because he's a wonderful player that I think can be the heir to Luka Modric, a 35-year-old Luka Modric now, I think he is already. And I think the things that Martin Odegaard really matures in San Sebastian last year at Real Sociedad, and I think he's uh, ready to play a big part in that Real Madrid midfield. I just hope he gets the playing time because he's at the stage of his career right now where he needs that playing time. He needs that uh, week in, week out, uh, those battles, those that continuity to really grow into the team, get used to his teammates, and that's when he can shine best. Uh, as well as that, the Real Madrid question, I mean, we saw nothing from Eden Hazard last year. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he scored just one goal last year and his impact was next to nothing. As well as that, Luka Jovic, remember him? Like He's also in the Real Madrid squad. 60 million euros, wasn't it? Yes, for a bench warmer, unfortunately. He's undoubtedly got a lot of quality, but you'd like to think that he can start to produce more on the pitch then. Uh, and if he does, and if Eden Hazard does, well, then the picture can change for Real Madrid, but it just really depends on how those players start fitting into their team. Yeah, I think Odegaard is an interesting one because uh, Real actually calls him back early. He was in a two-season loan to uh, Real Sociedad, I believe. Exactly, yeah. I really would have liked to have seen him stay in that Real Sociedad team because they were a brilliant team last year in La Liga. They were one of the most exciting attacking teams in the league and and a very, very young squad as well. Uh, But the dynamism that they brought, they were a bit of a surprise to most followers of La Liga and, and a real joy to watch too. And I also think it's a bit of a shame that obviously since Odegaard has been brought back to Madrid, he won't be able to play in the cup final that Real Sociedad reached uh, where they'll be playing their Basque rivals, Athletic Bilbao. Um, It's a bit of a shame because Odegaard was so important to that team last year that it would have been great to see him have the chance to lift silverware at that like really, really enjoyable time that he had at that club. And the same goes for the legendary Bilbao striker, Aritz Adoris, who had to retire during the lockdown because of his own health issues. Um, yeah, it would have been great to see both of those players represent their clubs, or, well, they're now former clubs, in that uh, cup final showpiece. Yeah, it would have also been very interesting to see Odegaard play alongside David Silva. I don't know if he was signed to replace him or what, but having the same team would have been a very interesting prospect, I think, you know? Yeah, that would be a joy to watch, wouldn't it? I have a feeling Silva was signed to replace him, but you never know. He was leaving Manchester City anyway, and who knows, Villarreal are also signing everybody left, right and centre, so maybe they would have tried to get in on the act if Real Sociedad weren't looking to replace a player that they expected to stay next season. Exactly, yeah. But I think also another important player for Atletico would be uh, Joao Felix. I think that he's had his first season down. He, He did okay, you know, was tired from him. He's only 19 years old. But I think that next year, with the year's experience behind him, he'll really begin to flourish. I hope so, Nick, because he's a player who I find really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, just if you can kind of uh, wrap things up slightly and just if I can ask you for your opinions on what's going to happen, basically. So if I can ask each of you, uh, do you think that Wijnaldum will join Barcelona? Uh, do you think Thiago will join Liverpool? Uh, do you think that Barcelona will be able to challenge Real Madrid? And do you think that Liverpool will retain their title? So I want to ask both of you. I'll start with John. Um, I'm veering towards no on whether Wijnaldum will join Barcelona. Uh, like I said, that's that's built on a little bit of a sound foundation. It could change tomorrow. But just the gut feeling I have right now is no. Um, 
according to any of the journalists that are close to Liverpool, it doesn't seem like there's been any offers or anything on the horizon. So um, that's something obviously that could progress quickly, but I, I go towards no right now. On whether Thiago would join Liverpool, um, yeah, I think he will, provided that Liverpool can raise the requisite funds through the sale of kind of squad players such as Marco Guric and Harry Wilson. Um, I think Barcelona could definitely challenge Real Madrid next season. It's not a vintage Real Madrid by any means. It's just whether Coleman can kind of pacify a very restless dressing room right now. Um, I think he's kind of between a rock and a hard place because it's well established that once Xavi, uh, pending the election results, going in the favour of what a lot of Barcelona fans want, Xavi will be their next coach. So kind of Koeman is kind of on a hiding to nothing. But uh, in all this, I think he's been quite underrated as a coach. I mean, <laughs> you support Everton. He didn't do too well there, but uh, nearly everywhere else he's done reasonably well as a manager and especially for uh for the Dutch national team so if he can uh if he can kind of get a bit of discipline in there and maybe make one or two uh additions to the squad Memphis Depay has been rumored that that would be a decent sign I think it would add a bit of incision and pace to the front line that they don't really have at the minute so if he can get those factors going in his favor I think they can challenge him I would expect Madrid to win it but certainly I think Barcelona could challenge him and whereas Liverpool, yeah, I, I'd expect them to win the league as is. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a very kind of a... That could change a lot as well because Manchester City have the capacity to go out in the market and to do something absolutely crazy. But right now, I don't think with the signings of Ferran Torres, who is a good player, but not as good as Leroy Sané, in my opinion, and the signing of Nathan Ake, who isn't as good as Amaric Laporte, who is their left side of centre-half, has improved uh, has improved their team and we know that their weaknesses in defence. So in that regard, they haven't really made the requisite additions that they need. Um, I also think he's probably a player that you would know better than me from his time at Villarreal and Atletico. But I don't think Rodri has really been too impressive since he's come to Man City. I think it's really been, it's really contrasted quite how good Fernandinho was in that number six role for City. I think Rodri is a player that kind of gets exposed as a sole pivot quite often. And he doesn't really have that mastery of the dark arts, that kind of shithousery streak that Fernandinho might have had that had gotten, saw him get away with so many tactical fouls over the years. So I don't think City have really addressed their weaknesses enough to make up such a big points differential. And then the other teams, whereas United or Chelsea, I just don't think they have the answers in defence and I would question whether Lampard or Solskjaer are the managers that would lead a uh, team to the Premier League title when their competition is Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, it would certainly be an interesting season, uh, both in Spain and in England. Uh, And for you, Killian, what's your opinion? What do you think about the question there? Well, to begin with, with the prospective moves of Wijnaldum and Thiago, to me, I think those moves depend on each other. I think Liverpool are at a stage where... They would be happy to let Wijnaldum go if uh, an offer comes in and then they would be ready to uh, take Thiago off Bayern Munich's hands. I mean, Uli Hones has been in the media recently talking about how it's all noise from Liverpool, like he's had, or Bayern have had no offers for him. Uh, but like everything with the transfer window, like timing is everything. Uh, there's still a couple of weeks to go before the window shuts, so there's still plenty of time for a bit of urgency to kick in to these people making the decisions. Um, ultimately, do I think they're going to happen? I think it'll either be two no's or two yeses. I don't think Thiago will come and Wijnaldum will stay. I don't think both of those will happen. Although I do think 
Barcelona need reinforcements in that midfield. I think they have a lot of financial issues that would restrict their what they can do in the market. Uh, so for that reason, I'm actually quite surprised to see them being linked with so many uh, players for plenty of millions of euro. I mean, there's no secret about the um, economic impact that the COVID-19 crisis has had on all clubs. And Barcelona would be one affected by it more than most clubs because they make so much revenue from ticket sales to tourists to um, museum visits and their merchandising in their shop. So their crisis has been, you might expect them to be a lot richer than what they are, but uh, they've spent a lot of money that they need to kind of balance those books. Um, in terms of can either team challenge again for their respective league titles, uh, in the Premier League, I would expect Manchester City to come back now. I think Liverpool have been playing at such a high level. The points totals that they've gathered over the last couple of seasons has been absolutely phenomenal. And I just think that when a team is so used to winning and just constantly all the time, uh, like they've gotten the rewards for it, they've won the trophies, but I can't help but think that some combination of mental and physical burnout might start to set in. And I just don't think that the complete consistency of winning every single game week after week, and as John said, in a very concertina-style season, uh, it's going to be very difficult to find that consistency. And I just think overall, on balance, Manchester City would have the better squad. And for that reason, and that reason alone, I would be tipping City to win the league. Um, What about Barcelona then? Well, they certainly have a lot of questions to answer. I think their defense needs major upgrades. I think each of the fullbacks, Alba and Semedo, like both of them can be replaced by better players. I think a new starting centre-back would be very welcome as well. I think PK and Longley are both very good players, but between them, I think they're missing something. Uh, I think PK is still one of the best defenders in Europe, and I think he's actually been somewhat unfairly seen in a bad light for Barca's failures in recent years. Uh, but uh, to me, I think they're more collective failures rather than individual failures, um, rather than anything down to his own making. And Longley on the other side, I think he can win you a league title, but I have doubts over whether he could be the backbone of a Champions League winning team. Um, although my doubts on both Pika and Longley could be completely resolved if I saw them in a well-functioning team with stronger fullbacks and midfields that provided sufficient coverage and a forward line that was capable of offering some sort of press because at the moment with Luis Suarez, who we're not expecting to see anymore, and, and Leo Messi, if neither of them are capable of doing any running off the ball, like automatically that's a lot of problems for the rest of the nine Barcelona players on the pitch. Can they challenge ultimately? Well, yes, they can. You know, even though we saw them getting humiliated 8-2, like at the end of the day, there's still plenty of talented players in that squad. Uh, A manager who uh, I don't think I'd necessarily agree with John to say that he's um, underrated. As an Evertonian, I would disagree with that. In terms of you think he's is underrated or you think he's not underrated? <laughs> he's, he's definitely not underrated. Like, I mean, it, it's for another podcast, but I think that in, in concert with Steve Walsh has done more damage to Everton Football Club in the last 
decade than anybody else. But anyway, go on. certainly. And we could ask any Valencia fan what they think of his management style as well. Um, but of course, he was also walking into a very highly politically charged situation there where he was tasked with, quite funnily enough, get, uh, similar to his Barcelona job, getting rid of some senior players who were thought to have too much power in the squad. Um, but yeah, it'll, it, it will certainly remain to be seen. I mean, there's still a lot of talent in that Barcelona squad. And like we mentioned, Real Madrid are no great shakes themselves. Atletico Madrid have a lot of improvement to do. But for me, I would expect Atletico Madrid to take that step forward. You also mentioned Joao Felix earlier on. I think as well, we would expect to see another step forward from him. I think he's a phenomenal talent. I think he can really be capable of changing a game. I really liked his enthusiasm and verve when he came on off the bench against um, RB Leipzig in the Champions League. You know, he he created that goal and he scored that penalty. And it was so exciting when he came onto the pitch. He looked really capable of taking that game with a scruff of the neck. Unfortunately for Atletico, things didn't go their way after that moment. But I think he's a real talent that if they built a forward line around him, they could create some very exciting things. Um, ultimately, what am I predicting for La Liga? I will say Real Madrid to win the title again. And I think Atletico Madrid could be very capable of challenging them as well. And Barcelona, honestly, there's a lot of question marks over them. I think they could be capable of challenging them for the title. And I also think equally, if the season doesn't go very well, or if Coman is unable to um, fit with Messi's psychology, I think they could even struggle to qualify for the champions league like at the worst uh, end of the scale so it's certainly going to be interesting times in catalonia next season yeah i think that kuman is a very very fiery personality and i think that him clashing with Lionel messi uh, and the kind of you know the well-placed hierarchy in barcelona with gerard pique sergio busquets i think that it could be a very very interesting season in catalonia um for sure but i think also on the flip side of that any club that has Lionel Messi on its books has a shot you know, in, in any game in the world, you know. Uh, so anyway, guys, that's pretty much it. Um, thanks very much for uh, giving me your time this evening. Thanks, Killian. Thank you very much. And thanks, John. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me. And thanks to you, the listeners, for listening to the first episode of European Football Show and the World Football Index. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode, another topic, another country. Um, and I hope you'll tune in to us again. Uh, so thanks and goodbye.